Well, good morning, Watershed. <laughs> Woo! I forgot y'all could see me because it was dark. So that was an act of love. What he whispered to me was, don't mess this up. So Enneagram 8, Enneagram 8, love right there, right? So good morning. My name is Kim Honeycutt. I'm a teaching pastor here. I'm also a psychotherapist. And I'm also the wife of Larissa. This is when y'all say, bless her, bless her heart, bless her. Yeah, right? I totally get that. So June 12, two weeks ago, we celebrated our two-year wedding anniversary. Absolutely. And y'all have, like, made fun of us the whole time we've been here because we're always holding hands. And you're like, they're just newlyweds. Well, guess what? We're not newlyweds, and we walked in today holding hands. So, nah, nah, a boo-boo. I don't We still like each other. Two years past. How cool is that? So, there's some things we've done in our, in our marriage. One, this is very important, we watched all the Marvel movies in order. Very important. We also have become addicted to any marriage reality show. Y'all, like, listen. I'm going to confess, I think this is in James, I'm going to confess to y'all, like, it is trash, and we are in it, in it, like, married at first sight, anybody else want to confess, right, confession, confession, like, these are people who meet, like, they actually meet at the altar, get married in that moment, and then they film them trying to get along and how they treat each other, we also will watch, um, Love at first sight. Yes. Love at first sight. This is, this is, oh my gosh. No, 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 wait, wait. Love is blind. Love is blind. Thank you. Okay. Love is blind. This is prison for white people. I'm serious. I'm serious. They talk to each other through a wall. And they decide who they're going to spend time with when they're released, when they get on the outside. This is the premise. And we watch it. Ultimatum, yeah. ultimatum queer love, watershed event right there, right? Yeah, yeah. So, but it's fascinating because this is all about, like, relations are about intimacy. So you're watching these people and how they treat each other. And I'm telling you, you can't know somebody for five days and be that upset with them. You, you can't. The name-calling, the daggers, how they treat each other, like... Like, they are not present with their, their past is coming in. I really feel like I should be paid to watch this show and analyze it. But we, like, we watch it and we pause and we talk about our marriage and making sure what they're doing doesn't come in to our marriage or if we see something similar that we... So it's educational. <laughs> it's an educational endeavor. It's also cultural. <laughs> watch things that are culture, like Indian matchmaker. That's culture, y'all. We are that progressive. That's culture. We also watch Jewish matchmaker, matchmaker, and y'all, I have fallen in love with Jewish people. They are beautiful and diverse and so loving. And through watching the show, a concept, a way of life got introduced to me, and it's called Tikkun Alam. And so what that means is this the repair of our world as we strive to bring compassion, wholeness, and justice 
to the world. See, repair is so important, right, in relationship. There's rupture in repair, but there's also rupture in this world in repair that's needed. Repair means that we are we're able to tolerate the differences with each other, that we can have diversity, we can, we can be present with each other, and actually repair means move forward knowing the differences and include each other inside of the difference as we bring fairness and justice to whatever relationship that it is. So I think Micah 6.8 speaks into this, and it reads like this. But he's already made it plain how to live what to do. What God is looking for in all people is quite simple. Do what is fair and just to your neighbor. Be compassionate and loyal in your love. And don't take yourselves too seriously. Take God seriously. See, before we go repair this world, there's a personal world, there's an internal world that has to be repaired. And we have to do the inside work work because otherwise, we take ourselves too seriously. And the scripture is calling us if we're going to feed each other, feel, um, treat each other fairly and treat ourselves well, then it means that we've done enough work to not take ourselves too seriously. And instead, we take God's love, God's grace, God's mercy. We take that seriously. And that's how we start repairing our world as we strive to repair this external world. So I want to talk today about authentic relating. But before I share that with you, I'm going to tell you uh, an example of when I did very inauthentic relating. This example makes me look horrible, and this is probably the last time they're going to let me take this stage. This is a horrible (laughs) example of who I am, but this is something that happened very, very recently. Okay, so you all know I'm a psychotherapist, which means that I have to stay connected to myself and be in my essence all day long. My patient will have no movement in their life. They won't be able to repair and move forward differently in their life if I am not connected to myself. So I spend all day in my essence. And it's amazing. So at the end of my day recently, I'm walking out and leaving. And so y'all been in my building for like 15 years. And somewhere in that time, someone put one of these 50 trillion crafty beer guys right beside it. So I share... As an addiction specialist and psychotherapist, I share a parking lot with crafty beer guys, right? And y'all have done this thing. If you put cornhole there, then all of a sudden you can take your kids to a bar, right? I don't, I don't understand that. Back in my day, we called DSS on that. But y'all, you do you, boo. You do you, but. <laughs> so there's always activity in our parking lot. So I'm walking out to go to my car. And this man has pulled up in his, in his truck, and he's standing outside of his truck right beside my car. Okay. Now I'm going to interrupt myself and tell you this. So you know how like in your family, y'all have something that helps you bond and connect. I don't know, like love. I don't know. (laughs) Encouragement or you share books together or there's something that is part of your bond with your family. You have something in common y'all do. Well, what my family has, what we have are cars. We're really into cars. That's all we got people. So, like, like in my mom, my mom is about to turn 80 years old, and this is a picture of her car. Any second now. We're a picture. This is my mother's car, y'all. 
All right, she's about the 80s. She drives a 370Z Nissan. She is a boss lady, all right? Like, it's amazing. So I'm just saying this because I sound pretentious in this example. I sound elitist. I am not. I'm a redneck from Fort Mill. I just like cars, okay? All right, so I'm walking out in my car, and I, my engine is in the back of my car. So I have no back seat, so there's no trunk. It's called a frunk. So the open area is in the very front. It's called a frunk. So I'm walking out, my briefcase in my purse, and yes, I have a purse. Shut up. So <laughs> whatever. So I'm walking out, all, all zen, and I go to open my frunk. I open my frunk put my stuff in, and this man who just going to the beer joint, I'm sorry, crafty beer guys, he's standing right there, and he says, how long take you get used to that? And I said, oh, it's my second Porsche. <laughs> what? What was that? What was that? Okay, put my stuff in, and he says, well, you can't get your golf clubs in there. And then y'all... This is what I came up with. I said, I only need one club to beat the crap out of somebody. <laughs> what? 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 Listen, y'all should see Lewis in the background. He's going crazy with the Enneagram 8. So, like, what is that? And then I said a third thing. I'm not even going to tell y'all. It got progressively worse. It got so worse. And so I got my car, and I go home, and I tell Larissa. She's like, that was horrible. I said, I know. <laughs> I know, that was horrible. It was, it was inauthentic. It was the opposite of how I spend most of my time and energy. It's not who I am. And guess what, y'all? I didn't take myself too seriously. It didn't affect his life. He went and drank his beer, did what he had to do. It's just a moment. I can still treat myself well when I have a moment when I am unwell. So that's what I want to talk about is authentic relating. There's three criteria, three principles of this. And, you know, I just made this up. So you don't have to agree with it. I just went with this. But this is, as we're in this community authentically relating to each other, I think it's vital that we know how to treat ourselves well, even when we're unwell. Whether you're unwell for just a few minutes like I was, or you're in a season where you're just not okay, you're not well, or it's years. It's learning how do we treat ourselves well when we are not at our best for whatever reason. And the second principle is that we are to treat others well, even when they're unwell, unless it causes us to be unwell. That is a hard stop. If you are treating somebody really well and it causes you to become sicker, that is your indication that that is not your job and that's not your person. It's not for you to do. And third, as I build, we get to a point as we're trying to repair this world in our own world is that we treat others, particularly marginalized people, we treat them really, really well. When I first got sober, I started going to a 12-step program that became my community. And I started going to church the first time in my life, and that became my community. And I started hearing in the community, as, as I'm starting to read the Bible and hear pastors talk about, about Scripture the first time in my life. And in the Scripture, Luke 15, 
15, 4 through 7, was a story that I thought was beautiful, and I'm going to read it to you. Suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and lost one. Wouldn't you leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the lost one until you found it? When found, you can be sure you would put it across your shoulders, rejoicing, and you got home calling your friends and neighbors, saying, celebrate with me. I found my lost sheep. Count on it. There is more joy in heaven over one sinner's rescue life than over 99 good people in no need of rescue. So when I heard this, I thought, you mean somebody would notice me that I'm not in the, in the hundred? Somebody would notice that I wasn't there. It was so healing to hear that somebody would love me to notice that I wasn't there and go seek me out. But then the next part of the story that I was taught is a lie, and it's not true. But see, I was too unwell to realize that. And it influenced me, and it's detrimental. I was taught that once the shepherd finds the one sheep, it breaks the sheep's leg. So that it will never run away again. And so that the sheep has to stay with the shepherd the whole time as it heals, and it causes this dependency so that they would stay together and the sheep won't do it again. See, I heard that and I thought, that's beautiful. Somebody would want me around. See, if, if our source of safety and our source of fear are the same, then we are not free. And we're not in an environment that's going to encourage us to be free. I don't care if it's a 12-step program. I don't care if it's a corporation. If it's a church or it's your family system. That is not a place where you are allowed to get well. And so many of us will treat people so well, and we won't even realize that we're being mistreated in it. And the nicer we are to them, the worse they treat us. And that is not a place where we will experience emotional and spiritual freedom. Actually, we will go into emotional bondage and not even know it. Galatians 5.1 says, Christ has set us free to be free. See, we don't automatically have freedom. Like, like this says it twice, Christ has set us free. It doesn't mean that we're repaired enough, that we're in a community, we're in an environment that we actually get to be free. And it says, take a stand. And I read this as, for those of us who have had our legs broken, and that we are to heal and we are to take a stand. And it says, never again let anyone put a harness of slavery on you. And never again means that somebody has done that to us. So we're set free to be unique. To be complex. To be authentic. We are set free to be ourselves. If I need you... To believe like me, talk like me, act like me, and sound like me, I don't have a me. I'm not free. There's a quote by Einstein. Y'all may have heard of him. <laughs> he says that you can't solve a problem with the same mind that created it. So we have to be in an environment, in a community... We're being different, thinking differently, believing differently. It's welcome. Where vulnerability is on tap. 
Vulnerability is evident and it's obvious that we're allowed to be vulnerable and that is how we get set free. See, here at Watershed, this is where we call home. We call it home because the vulnerability is palatable, like it's, it's so evident. The fact that we have, that so recently, like the way regional collectives got pulled together, that the whole idea is like, hey, you can be near home, have your community, but we want you to show up, whether you're well or unwell, just as you are, show up. Be with your people. In fact, that ICU Talks, which I, we created that ministry, so that anybody, wherever they were on their emotional and spiritual journey, there's an open place to struggle. And they go into our ninth year, we so quickly adapted and came in a part of Watershed without any difficult transition because the work had already been done here at Watershed. And I really want to give it up for Mark Smith and Ollie and anybody else, a part of Kindred and all that they do constantly so that we can be celebrated. And then when we leave here today, we get to go out there and, and, and be proud and, and celebrate and the fact that we, we're repairing as we're out there today because it's going to be able to just honor and embrace diversity. That's repair of our personal world and the world around us as we treat each other well. You know, this last series, nevertheless, and this current series has wrecked me. And it's been reckless love. The fact that Matt, Pastor Matt, intentionally had, had Blair and Jonathan come here. And that Pastor Matt stood here and had them here. And he publicly apologized. That he said to them, hey, I thought you were unwell, but actually it was me that was unwell. And I, he's, I want you all here because I want to... Treat you well, because that's what you're worth. That is, amen, that is vulnerable, and that is beautiful. The way that Tommy, when he's up there playing one of his 50 instruments, the way, <laughs> right, the way that he just so gently just ushers in this idea of wherever you are, whatever's happening, like, be present with yourself. You're worth that. Like, he makes this a somatic practicing experience. Like, that's amazing. In Austin, a few weeks ago, just listened to his internal prompting because of his own repair of the work he's done. And he said, if you've been hurt because I was unwell, because I was homophobic, because I discriminated, he said, I'm sorry. That is so vulnerable and beautiful in healing. This is a fertile, a ground of healing where we stand. And even Lewis. <laughs> even Lewis with the Enneagram 8 self. Even when he said today, but a couple of weeks ago, talking about he's talking to a friend who's been ostracized for the church, and he said, Lewis, of all people, said the words that that man needed to hear because Lewis has repaired his inner world and he could connect to that man and treat him well. We have permission here to be emotionally intimate. Let me define emotional intimacy for you. Emotional, emotional intimacy... 
than two or more persons are present with each other in an undefended state. There's no defense mechanism. There's no deflecting. There's no discrediting. There's no devaluing. You're just present with each other. There's no hiding. You just get to be yourself and be authentic. And in authentic relating, there are three levels when you're trying to converse with somebody, when you're, when you're trying to have a moment with somebody. There's three levels, three types of intimacy. And the first is informational. Informational means you said to me, hey, Kim, did you go to church last week? How was church? And I would say, Colby Martin spoke. It was good. I gave you information. Nothing really to hang on to. Nothing to really grab. I just gave you information. And second is personal. Personal means that I'm going to microdose some vulnerability. I'm going to give you a little bit of vulnerability in this. And I might say, it was good. I, like I, I felt something. I don't appreciate you kicked me off the stage so fast. <laughs> I wanted more time. I got, I'm redeeming that today. But I'll tell you a little bit about how I feel, but it might be a little bit more past. Didn't give you a whole lot, but it's something. And then relational. Relational intimacy. Then I'd be present with you. And I would say, hey, even you asking me that excites me. I'm a little nervous to talk about what it meant to me to hear Colby Martin, the man who wrote about declaring passages, something that, that brought freedom to my, my marriage. That I got to be present with him. See, that's relational. That's being present. I don't think there's a better example of intimacy and the styles of intimacy than in the Bible where it comes to Martha and Mary. So I know it's a very well-known story, but let me, let me read this to you. This is Luke 10, 38 through 42. As Jesus and the disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So let me tell you as a therapist how I read this. Martha is in her state of addiction. So we're really good at recognizing alcoholism, drug addiction, even sexual addiction. We recognize that that's an addiction. But most of us, or many of us, live in the state of addiction, a trauma response. And it's so common, we don't even know what's happening to us. It's perfectionism, performance, productivity, people-pleasing. See, I think Martha is in her state of addiction or people-pleasing or external validation or codependency that she is in her place. And she's not asking Jesus for help. She's asking Jesus for things to stay the same. Because this has been her way of not knowing how to treat herself well, but how to treat others. This is her medicine. There's an old saying that at a certain dosage, your medicine becomes the disease. See, caretaking doesn't require vulnerability. 
when it's your medicine, it doesn't require vulnerability. And nothing heals from invulnerability. So Jesus says to her, Mary chose the one thing. So I think what Mary chose, whether she meant to or not, is that she chose relational intimacy. She chose to be in the moment, to be present with Jesus, to receive. She chose to treat herself well. So I told y'all when I first started talking that Larissa and I got married two years ago on June 12th. We got married in the month of June. We got married in Key West. We came out in the month of June, and we were such horrible gays, we did not know it's Pride Month. <laughs> Had no idea. We're trying to make up for that. But we are in Key West, and we got married. We left as single people. We left as, as overly closeted people. And we're about to get on the plane to come back home. We're coming back as a married lesbian couple. And we decided it was time to come out. And what better place than Facebook? <laughs> right? Makes it real for 40 and up, right? Yeah. All right. <laughs> but here's the thing. We knew we were well, but we would be treated unwell. And that we couldn't just do this without community, without support. Our legs had been broken. And we needed people to help us. And so before we got on the plane, I reached out to my friend, Lee Roberson. She's the only friend I have that I trust enough to give my Facebook password. Because she's really young, I knew she wouldn't know how to mess me up there. So I contacted Lee and said, hey, will you take care of us? I'm about to post who I really am. And she automatically said, yes. So she hovered over my page and took care of me as the comments came. We had become a part of Tim Whitaker's new evangelicals group. We contacted them. We posted and said, hey, we're about to go on our pages. Will you go there and take care of us while we're on the plane? We can't do anything about it. And they all surrounded us. And then we got on the plane, and we very intentionally listened to a certain podcast of someone we know and respect interviewing Brian McLaren, and we heard exactly what we needed to do so that we would get off that plane and still be intact and be well and be who we are. So I want to read to you what I posted that day, most of what I posted that day. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. Does that include the Bible? <clears throat> this isn't an argument of statement unless someone needs it to be. For me, it's the messy middle of my process of, of being who I am. This is who I am. I spent years intoxicated in fear of believing who trauma told me I was. I've had the privilege for 26 years of working the 12 steps and all that goes with that. I have the absolute privilege of being in psychotherapy as a patient since the age of seven. No surprise to anybody, I'm sure. But I've been a psychotherapist in private practice for over 20 years. I have now been with my current church family, which is not y'all, for 16 years. I've been sharing my love for Jesus, the college and church stages for many years. I've been the executive director of ICU Talks for seven years. This 
is who I am. And now I've been married to a woman for one wonderful week. Yes, I know it's shocking that I'm married. I'm shocked as well. Larissa Miller is the most beautiful, compassionate, special woman I've ever met. She loves Jesus. I love Jesus. God has never rejected me. People always will. My decision is not to reject myself and to trust that God knew me at conception. There isn't a scripture you can throw at me that I haven't dismantled and studied. There isn't a shameful preachy statement you can lodge at me that I haven't wrestled with the last 20 years as I remain single. This is who I am. And he knew me before I did. This is who I am. A Christ-loving, God-loving woman who at the age of 50 decided that the enemy's weapons shall not prosper or prevent me from discovering more of who he says I am. This is who I am. Married and deeply connected to God, self, friends, church, and my beautiful wife. And now I will go and find those who aren't in church because believers use God's word as a weapon. If it is up to my wife and me, that weapon will not prosper. This is who we are. Amen. Thank you. See, there's part in there where I can look at this now where I'm saying, hey, I've been working the 12 steps, and I'm a therapist, and I'm saying, this. see, that was my Martha moment. I was saying it not to God but to the church and saying, will you still help me and love me? And they said no. But Jesus didn't. And he let us hear. And Larissa, I worked for one of the largest Christian international ministries. And she had already left because she knew what they would do. And she left before we got married. But during that time, she came here, but sporadically, because she was always traveling over the world, making documentaries and all this kind of stuff. But we decided to walk in this door. And I want you to know, when David Roberts saw us, he walked up to us. He said, Kim Hanika, Larissa Miller. He said, if y'all were here, something's wrong. And we took us to lunch that day, and we broke bread together. And he loved on us as much as the Enneagram 5, David Roberts, (laughs) neurodivergent can. And then Scott and Taryn said, if y'all were here, something happened and they took us a lunch to break bread with them. And I never remember forgetting, Taryn said, hey, basically these are her words. She's like, girls' legs have been broken. So don't come here and immediately get involved. Just sit and let your legs heal. And we did that. And then Donna and Matt took us a lunch. We broke bread together and they said, welcome home. Welcome home. So I want you to know that today I want to be able to break bread with you because that's what they did for us to show us that we're worthy of being treated well. So we're going to do communion. And I'm going to call some special friends up in a minute, but I want to remind you what communion is. Communion is the exchange of thoughts, feelings, and ideas. It's intimacy. Why there's an emotional, mental, and spiritual connection. 
And so we want this to be relational intimacy for you today as you take communion. In the time that we got here and started getting settled, there's certain ones of you, so many of you that reached out to, to us to help us to know we were home. And so I want to invite certain ones up and don't be scared, they already know who they are. So when we first started coming here, one of our first times here, Katie Orr stood up on this stage and she shared about being in large mega churches and, and that she could not grasp why anyone would be against marginalized people. She couldn't grasp why people would be against gay people. And to hear a Caucasian, cisgender, heterosexual woman say, I refuse to not treat all people well. Something in me healed. So I would like to ask Kate and her husband, Matt Sharp, to come up, and they are going to be people who provide communion for you today. And just so you know, if you are gluten-free, they are not your station. <laughs> we gave the regular stuff to the regular people. <laughs> and then there's a family here, Samantha, Rachel, and Robbie. That they said, hey, something's, we want to get to know you. Let's break bread together. And so we all went to dinner. And they shared their story and we shared ours. And that's meaningful to me, but I want y'all to know when they're here and listen to them worship and, and knowing their story and see how much they love the Lord and how expressive they are about that, that heals me. It heals my broken leg. So I want to ask that they will stand here. Give it up for them. So they have both. They have gluten-free and they have regular. All right. In the beginning of me coming here, I met Jonathan. And Jonathan just shows up authentically wherever he goes. But it is so much for me to see him just come as he is. And then he also said, hey, let's, let's go to lunch. And so we went. And we broke bread. He shared what he was and what he was going through, and I shared what I was going through. One of the two of us cried. Was it me? Okay, it was. Whatever, whatever. So, Jonathan, would you please come? And the last person. I want to share about is Bethany. Bethany is my surge of inspiration every time I see her. She just shows up so authentically, and I know her story, and I know how she's been beaten in the church, and she still shows up, and she just worships and loves. So, Bethany, will you come? do is Larissa and I as you come that if your legs are still broken because you've been so hurt by this a church or by a person and you want to stay right where you are not have to serve anybody just sit 
Will you just indicate by raising your hand, Larissa and I will come to you and we will serve you your communion right where you are. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. I thank you, God, that this, this is a ground. This is a healing ground. This is a place where we are called to repair our personal world and from that place go and strive to bring compassion, wholeness, justice to the external world. I thank you this is an opportunity for us to come and receive and sit at your feet knowing that you've called us to treat ourselves well and that you call us yours. I thank you that you've called us into relational intimacy. You've called us into vulnerability. And I thank you that this is a safe place to experience that. So whatever happens next, Lord, I just ask that you would just show up in it so big and so large that no one, Absolutely no one can deny what they're experiencing. I pray as we take communion that we're aware that we are worthy of being treated well. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.